And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, this is like the most loving, committed, delightful, amazing man. He's reading this pamphlet. And then the other half of my brain was like, does he actually think he's going to learn anything from a pamphlet about how to care for a baby? And it was like this moment where I was like, we are both way in over our heads. We have no idea what we're doing and we're trying to get through it. But I loved that Josh's response to the moment was like, I have to do something. I need some information. And and that's what he did. And I don't know. I just loved him even more that day than I had the day before. You were full of oxytocin. Welcome to Startup Dad, the podcast where we dive deep into the lives of dads who are also leaders in the world of startups and business. I'm your host, Adam Fishman. And in this episode, I had the pleasure of sitting down with husband and wife, Josh Herzig-Marx and Carla Nomberg. This was a fascinating interview because Josh is a longtime tech leader and advisor, and Carla, who holds a PhD, is a best-selling author of several parenting books, including You're Not a Shitty Parent, How to Stop Losing Your Shit with Your Kids, Ready, Set, Breathe, and Parenting in the Present Moment. Josh and Carla are raising two teenage daughters, and Josh has taken a more active role in parenting to enable Carla to lean into her book writing. In this conversation with Carla and Josh, we dove into their backgrounds, their journey together, and their experiences as parents. They discuss the transition their two daughters are going through, navigating the tricky terrain of adolescence and puberty, and the challenges and joys that come with it. The conversation takes a much deeper turn as they discuss their decision to start a family. Both Carla and Josh always knew they wanted children, but the timing was a big point of contention. Today's episode provides a candid look into their lives, offering insights into parenting, relationships, and the complexities of family life. I think many of you will relate to this conversation. So Josh, Carla, tell me a little bit more about your backgrounds. Tell me about your families growing up. And we can start with whoever wants to start, because this will be an interesting window into co-parenting. You go first, babe. So I grew up in the Boston area about a mile from where we're living right now. My mom was also a clinical social worker. Do with that as you will. And my father was a tech exec and tech entrepreneur. He was part of, among other things, that early 80s AI machine learning boom that happened in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And some one very cool thing is I realized about five or six years ago that my office was on the same floor of the same building that my dad used to work in. That is just how small this world is. So I sort of I feel like, you know, I came to this spot I'm in right now, fairly honestly. Do you think there's any sort of weird Oedipal thing with like that your mom was a PhD in a clinical? No, my mom has a master's degree. <laughs> Completely wife, different, yeah, Adam. <laughs> totally different. Nothing at all Sorry. like that. No. Carla, are you excited that you are a much more accomplished than Josh's mom? No, uh, because Josh's mom is one of the wisest people I know. And no amount awesome. of letters after your name will ever make up for that. She's awesome. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So tell me about you, Carla. Where did you grow up? What was your upbringing like? Pretty different from Josh's. I grew up out <laughs> west, actually. I was born in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And I spent nice. half my childhood in New Mexico and half my childhood right outside San Francisco. And my okay. parents are totally different. My dad was a realtor. They divorced when I was quite young. And my mom worked with my grandmother at a ladies clothing store. And my childhood, because we're talking about parenting here, was 
a lot of divorces, a lot of instability, alcoholism, mental illness, a lot of tough stuff. And I am incredibly grateful to Josh and actually, and my parents who did as best they could do in a really challenging situation, but clearly they did something right because I'm here now and I have this amazing family. And as we were discussing before the recording, Josh and I are going to hit our 19th wedding anniversary in a few months. So my childhood was very different and it affected my parenting. And if you're wondering why I went into social work, look no further, but here I am now. Awesome. How did the two of you meet? Because you're now both on the East Coast together. What did that look like? Okay, hold. I'm going to step in before Josh tells his inappropriate joke here. <laughs> we were both students at Middlebury College, and he will say he was working for me, which is inappropriate and not accurate. We were both working for residential life at Middlebury College, and that's how we met. And he wasn't working for me. So stop it, babe. Don't tell that joke. As in, like, you were RAs, and he was. you were, like, the supervising RA, and he was the, like... I had already graduated, and he was a senior. Basically. Was this, she, like, the graduate situation? Like, no, he was dating no, some other no. woman. I was... But I remember very clearly, we were doing some kind of preseason offsite, and I didn't really know how I was going to get there, and she just walked up to me and offered me a ride in her car, which was awesome. Of her, but even more than that, the next day when I was driving back, she just walked over and was like, I'm giving you a ride back, right? And it was super cool of her to like, you know, look out. And we became really good friends after that because she and offered then, me a ride and was super cute. And then eventually you broke up with the person you were dating and Carla was the homewrecker and just swooped <laughs> in and, you know, rebuilt, rebuilt the foundation, right? That's how that works. So, so. the actual story is... I actually did break up with a girlfriend right before I was going to see her. I was Carla not the was same girlfriend. I was a living in girlfriend. DC, different, different girlfriend. Wow. And Josh. I knew I was going to see Carla and I thought she was pretty awesome. And I broke up with my girlfriend and I came back to Boston and I invited her to Passover Seder. Second oh, nice. day of Passover. So second day of Passover, 2001, 2001. No, yep. I think it was 2000. I think it was anyway. 2001. You know, she just stuck around after the Seder and helped with dishes. And we sat chatting uh -huh. all night. And my grandmother was sleeping upstairs. And, you know, awesome. finally, yeah. So you bonded over <laughs> some matzah and manischewitz. Is 100%. Like, uh, yeah, yeah. Good. As our people have been doing for millennia. <laughs> Broke unleavened bread together, you might right. say. Cool. Okay, awesome. Now, tell me about your family now. So you have... Two kids, two girls, yep. if I'm not mistaken. We have two girls, 13 and 12. They just started eighth grade and seventh grade. At the time this is released, we'll have a 14-year-old and a 12-year-old, probably. Oh, wow. And I don't know. They're like on this weird, like liminal state between like being kids and being like full-on teenagers. It's sort of, I joke that if you like watch them, it's like one of those like optical illusions, you know, is the dress green or is the dress blue? And it kind of switches back and forth once you can see it. It's like, I see my kids switching back and forth between being like teenagers and being little kids. And it's sort of mm -hmm. freaky and it's sort of amazing. Yep. Wow. Wow. Carla, do you have a similar reaction to that? Oh, a hundred percent. First of all, I will tell you that yep. having a house full of puberty during a pandemic is no joke, but our daughters were Amazing, really, through it. They were amazing. I mean, their resilience and their ability to handle this stuff has been 
Sure, there have been some very rough moments, but in general, they have been phenomenal. And I am very grateful to Josh, who was kind of the emotional rock in our family when he's got like three crazy yeah. ladies, actually five crazy ladies, if you count the cats, mm-hmm. running around the house. And yeah, the girls are amazing, though, but it is these transition stages of childhood and young adulthood are brutal because you don't really yeah. know which kid is going to show up at any moment. And are you supposed to react to them as the parent of a younger child slash tween or as the parent of a teenager? It's a little mind blowing. Yeah. So I have a 10 year old daughter and a mm-hmm. seven and a half year old son. And my Thursday is the introduction to the puberty ed program at my school. So that's, oh, yeah. that's fun. But I've seen that like it's starting this sort of adolescence seems to be starting earlier and earlier, right? Like even I think at 10 years old now, people are like, oh, your kid's going to be going through some stuff. And like, you know, they might get surly. And I guess that's the tween years. I don't know. But it's become much more of a thing. I I think there's like two parts to that, right? One part is I think onset of puberty is certainly getting earlier and earlier. And I think that affects girls more than boys or is more obvious in girls first. So when I talk to friends of mine, you know, who have kids who are like nine or 10, I'm like, there is one or two kids in your daughter's class who are, they're going to hit puberty. They're good. Can I say this out loud? They're going to have their period mm-hmm. for the first time in class. And it's going to be a thing which your kid is going to be thinking about inside of their head, maybe talking with their friends and maybe talking with you about. So just prepare mm-hmm. yourself and maybe even start having the, those conversations with them. But there's also, I think, you know, we're old now. I don't know how old you are. You know, we're, Carl and I are 45. I'm and I 38. Think six- I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, Carla's, Carla's been 38 for a long time. It's yeah, great. Not that long. I think my grandmother died at 29, <laughs> which she was for approximately 70 years. No, I think that we have this in our head. Like, what are the signals of being an adolescent? Right. It's maybe it's the attitude. Maybe it's a clothing. Maybe it's a kind of music you listen to. Maybe it's the way you start to kind of separate your life as a kid from your parents' lives and start to lead this kind of invisible life. And one of the things I keep on realizing is the signals that I expect in my head, you know, thank you, 1980s teen comedies, available to kids much earlier, right? Their clothing styles that they wear when they're 10 or 11 years old look more like the clothing styles, which I would expect based around my high school experience. doesn't make it bad. It just makes it different. Right. By high school, I had a very different life, separate life from my parents. Right. Things were happening, which they knew nothing at all about over the phone at school or whatnot. Now our kids with their phones and their devices and WhatsApp and Instagram and face chat and whatever it is like they're leading lives separate from their parents earlier than them as well. So I think it's partly it's the kids and partly it's us, which is maybe a thing that every generation of parents have thought about. Yeah, I think every generation is like these children and their newfangled devices. Out there shaking their hips. Remember what they said when Elvis became a thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They were like, it's all yeah. going to hell because they're shaking their hips. I, I wasn't actually alive for that, sweetie. I'm only 38. I don't know. I've seen I saw a documentary yeah. about it. Well, recently, crop tops have entered my household or mm-hmm. the desire to turn everything into a crop top for my 10-year-old. And that's been a little, I don't know, unsettling. The crop seems to get higher and higher and higher. And I'm like, no one wants to see that, honey. Like, like wear a normal shirt. Anyway, enough about me. By the way, we can spend the entire time talking about discussing clothing choices with your tween and teenaged girl. Oh, we might get there. That's a whole conversation. What I'd really like to hear about from both of you is the decision to start a family. So, yeah, where were you in your professional lives when this was going on? What was that? Was it a conversation? 
what was that conversation like? You know, put on your time machine hats. Yeah. And it was like a remember, fight. Sweetie? Don't you remember we went on a hike and got in a fight? That's exactly what it was. It was a fighting hike. It was a fighting hike. No, we, look, Josh was in graduate school. He was getting his MBA. And I, mm -hmm. I was working on my doctorate and I was working in college mental health. And we had this like group of friends that we hung out with a lot. And one of them had the audacity to get pregnant. I mean, what the hell? And we had always talked about having kids. I think we both went into this relationship knowing we wanted kids. But then our friend yep. got pregnant. All of a sudden, like it became a real thing. And then it just took us a little while to get on this, like the same page in terms of timeline, I think. I don't think we ever disagreed about wanting kids. But I got anxious because that's what I do on days that end in Y. I get anxious. And I was like, we need to get pregnant because my ovaries are shriveling up. And I was like 29. I didn't have any right. shriveled ovaries. I don't know. Maybe I don't think so. But you, I think, babe, you were reticent, right? Or you were hesitant? I don't like change. You know, change is hard. And I felt like we were just, I mean, rewind the clock. I have no idea how we spent our time prior to our kids. Like, I don't remember being that. Born. I have like the vaguest notion. I kind of remember where we were living and I kind of remember where like the, our bedroom was, but like the details totally escaped me. But, but apparently there like was we were, a hike involved. There was at least We did hiking. a lot of walking. We, and did we a almost lot of, ended yeah. up walking on the side of big, busy roads because that's what happens mm -hmm. when you go on walks with Josh. You walk on the side but of hike, a big, busy road. But hiking and walking is like what we like doing. It's still our favorite thing to do together. And it, always, it really always has been. But I felt like we were just kind of getting our shit figured out. And mm -hmm. I 100% wanted kids. There's never a question there. I've always wanted kids. I've always wanted to be a parent like as far back as I can remember back when it was kind of weird and creepy to feel this way. Like 15 year old Josh is like, yeah, I want kids. I'm like, what's wrong with you, old man? But like, I didn't have a sense of the timing of things. Like how long does it take to have kids and what's the process like? I mean, I know the mechanics of it, or I thought I knew the mechanics of it, but I, <laughs> which is part of our story. Right. But yeah. like fundamentally I was like, why does it have to be now? Like just when, you know, I'm making this big transition in my life, I, you know, left working to go to school and I was thinking about starting a company. Uh, this was the first year of this school together and it just all made things feel very chaotic. And when things feel chaotic, I feel a little bit locked down and we had a fight. And as always, Carla was right. Can we get a recording of that part? Yeah. If you can, want to do a little can, snippet of that bit. I would yeah. like that needle pointed on a pillow on my couch, please. As always, Carla was right. Needle pointed on the couch. That will be a Hanukkah present for Carla. I'll give you a snippet of this later that just says Carla was right. So hiking, fighting, but pretty much around the timing. Both of you all in yeah. on kids. Just when are we ready? And it is a big it is a big decision. You know, I think it's funny that you said 15 year old Josh knew he wanted to have a family. And it is weird and creepy, but I think only for men, which is a different mm, like a different thing. Right. Like. I don't think if you talk to a 15-year-old girl who was like, yeah, I'd like to have a family someday, that that would be weird. Right, because for generations, we didn't have any other options, right? Exactly, exactly. We'll get into that in a little bit. Tell me, so you had kids. Did you have a relatively like normal, you know, birthing process, everything? Like, because here's the thing. Having kids is wild, right? Like a lot of people are like, oh, it was so magical, and then there's the people who are like, actually, my kid wasn't breathing when they came out. I am extremely skeptical of the people who are like, oh, it's so magical. And I'm pretty convinced yeah. they were on serious amounts of drugs the whole time. 
I don't buy it. And I also want to step in. And now you're going to get all these listeners, Adam, who are like, well, mm-hmm. she doesn't know what she's talking about. Mine was magical. And I'm just still going to be skeptical. Right. right. But I would like to say that I want to dispute the idea that there is a normal pregnancy birthing story. I just, I think there's one that's like, I de- you know, put out there. There's the story that's put out there as a possibility. I don't think most people have it. We had a brutally hard time getting pregnant, and both of our daughters were conceived via IVF, and we are Actually, incredibly- let's be clear. We had a very easy time, comparatively, getting Oh, once pregnant. we got a doctor. Right, compared to, right, this is the following yes. is going to be a paid promotion for the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, where assisted reproductive technology, right, like IVF, are included. Is covered. Is yeah. covered. It's by sort law. of amazing. By law. And yes. for our friends who live elsewhere, and it's been like, what, one third of all children born in the U.S. were conceived as some sort of reproductive health care involved. Mm-hmm. For our friends who have struggled through everything else and who go through IVF, that is a mammothly expensive undertaking. And for us, yeah. it was merely painful and inconvenient. Mostly it was like for five, I think the girls cost us like $500, maybe $1,000 total. In like copays, yeah. which is insanely cheap for IVF, and it's all because yeah. of Massachusetts. But the process Club, lasted but- a year, right? And first yeah. we tried for a while, and then we talked to our doctor and talked to the OBGYN who referred us for reproductive healthcare, reproductive endocrinologist, who you know did all sorts of tests of us, determined it was probably my fault. It was probably the, not a fault. Maybe fault. Can we not do not that? a fault? Okay, how would you describe it? I was the responsible party who came up with a plan. And, you know, other than, you know, a whole stream of shots, which we had to give Carla and some fairly uncomfortable moments in the outpatient clinic, all of which were born by Carla. (laughs) It was fairly straightforward, but it was very involved. As we tell our kids, you know, when. Do it. 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 Well, I don't want to say it's a little it's a little heteronormative. Right. But when a mommy and a daddy and a reproductive endocrinologist and OBGYN and two radiology techs and a nurse OBGYN love each other very much. They make a baby. <laughs> Who am story. I forgetting? <laughs> but the anesthesiologist? <laughs> and the, the, the overall Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Yes. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, you know, that's fascinating. So we have some very good friends who are also live in Massachusetts, and we saw them over the summer, and we were talking to them about this. And I don't think that my wife and I knew about the fact that this is all covered in Massachusetts. And it is amazing. It's, ad- a yep, it's amazing. As we've and had friends who have gone through this in San Francisco and the Bay Area, and it is, you know, crippling. It's like the down payment on a house for some yeah. folks. Yes, we know, have friends who, like, wild. took out second mortgages, and it should be covered everywhere. It's ridiculous that it's not. Yeah, it really should. So, okay, so cool. So your kids were grown in a lab. Okay, yep. good that we've established that. Little what are sea the monkeys. Er- what are the I'd love to hear the earliest memories of each one of you have of becoming a father and a mother, because I'm interested to hear how different they might be or similar. But maybe who wants to go first? Who wants to tell me about the earliest memory you have? <laughs> I remember the earliest like memory, but I feel like, like once we tell the story where we both get to hold yeah. up the sign, we're going to tell yeah. the same story, right? Yeah, okay. we are. But right. from different and I feel a little bad for my kids who would hate to know. Can we tell a story that our kids wouldn't hate to hear? Yeah, I have a good story about the first time yeah. I remember Josh. So at the hospital where the girls were born, when you are in labor, you get one-on-one nursing. So you have your own nurse by your side all the time, which is incredible. Mm-hmm. And then after the baby's mm-hmm. born, you get sent over to the 
postnatal floor and you don't have your own nurse, which means there's not a responsible adult in the room with you and your child, which is terrifying. And I remember they put the baby in the room with us and I'd been in labor for like four days. So I was a like complete wreck. We both were. And I was like, they're going to leave us in the room with this child. What the hell are they thinking? They're going to leave us alone with this baby. We don't know what the hell we're doing. And I just decided I was going to like wallow in my anxiety because that's what I do. But there was this like glossy kind of pamphlet, big folder about like how to care for a newborn. And my sweet husband picks it up and starts reading it. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, this is like the most loving, committed, delightful, amazing man. He's reading this pamphlet. And then the other half of my brain was like, does he actually think he's going to learn anything from a pamphlet about how to care for a baby? And it was like this moment where I was like, we are both way in over our heads. We have no idea what we're doing and we're trying to get through it. But I loved that Josh's response to the moment was like, I have to do something. I need some information. And that's what he did. And I don't know. I just loved him even more that day than I had the day before. You were full of oxytocin. I was. Were you reading it out loud? Were you like, no, I would have murdered Oh, him. no. No, no I'm not an idiot. <laughs> so, Josh, do you remember the... Do you remember the moment in the same way? Do you have the do you have the same memory? I remember all of that. I remember a whole host of things that our kids would be aghast if they heard. Though what's really a cute thing is one of like the ways that we can help them soothe themselves and that they soothe themselves is telling them stories from when they were brand new babies. One of the stories that my older daughter loves hearing about is how she was the demonstration baby. She like I'm going to say through like I don't know preschool, she like she was the floor model hit every developmental milestone, like just the way you read it in the book. No, no, wow. no, 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 no. The like emotional, social That's, developmental yeah. silence. There are certain ones regarding where you put your bodily excrement that she did not hit, just to mm. be clear. I, I'm trying to tell a story that she'd be happy with. But yeah, like, yeah, but so let's she also was... be honest for the listeners. Come on. She didn't hit every milestone perfectly. Let's be real. Frida, we love you and we're sorry. No, she was like the demo baby for being washed. And when she, when she was thing, like a day old in the hospital. When she was a day old. And she was this incredibly charismatic baby. She was not a good looking baby. There's some good looking babies. Our second kid was like beautiful coming out. But she was kind of a froggy little baby. But from the very first moment, she engaged with everybody. She made eye contact almost like from birth, like from her very first moments. And she was always drawn to faces and paid really close attention. And like that just kind of carried through. The thing I really remember, though, from the first six months of her life was that I had these dramatic, like vivid post-apocalyptic dreams almost every night. And they weren't like terrifying, but they were pretty overwhelming. And I don't know. Did that happen to you, Adam? Similar? I don't remember most of my dreams. This is a weird thing. So it's so no, I don't. I think that they're happening. I just don't remember them much. This seems Probably to be not entirely people. uncommon. Like, it's not just me having these things, but I had these. Yeah. And, you know, parental anxiety manifests itself in all sorts of ways. And Carl and I have an abundance of it to manifest. Sure. Yeah. I just remember this unbridled rage that Josh was getting enough sleep to be dreaming while I was up, like, watching <laughs> really bad Queen Latifah movies while I was trying to nurse this baby. She was in a movie once where she was, like, a bike messenger. And I remember it was the middle of the night. And I'm trying to nurse this baby. And I'm like... Who was like, I'm, and I love Queen Latifah. Don't get me wrong. She's amazing. But I remember thinking like, who the hell cast Queen Latifah as a bike messenger? That's what I remember yeah. for those first six months. Rage and Queen Latifah. It's taxi. It's a, it's called a taxi. She's a bike messenger turned taxi cab driver. It's 2004. 
film. There you go. You were looking that up as we were talking, right? You weren't actually. Oh, good. No, I I, believe me. I've mostly memorized Queen Latifah's entire catalog, except that movie escaped me. The name of it. Connoisseur of fine direct to DVD movies. Exactly. So many. And they're so good when you're a new parent. So I want to transition a little bit and talk about, so a lot of the people I've talked to lately have had younger kids. There's a couple I've talked to whose kids are a bit older, but a lot of parents I'm talking to have kids that are way younger than mine, even newborns, kids in that like three to five zone or like early elementary school. And the two of you have a 14 year old and a 13 year old or 14 and 12, 13 and 12, 13 and 12 12. right now. About to be 14 and 12. And you've managed to survive or perhaps thrive. I could say during the time when your kids are growing up, but you know, you've made sacrifices and choices and changed how your family structure works and things like that. So I would just love to hear over the years, how the two of you have managed time between, you know, work, family, the occasional night out. How have you found that balance or would you even describe it as balance? We go to couples physical therapy together like seriously like this is what it comes to right now just to be real we look i'm gonna step back and just say that honestly it's all about privilege and we are so Mm -hmm. lucky to have it like i have not been back in clinical practice much i did a little bit of clinical practice a few years ago but generally speaking i have been writing and doing other jobs that have a huge amount of flexibility and allow me to work from home and we had a financial situation that allowed me to not work full time out of the house. And as mm-hmm. you noted at the beginning, Adam, Josh is now the primary parent. Mm-hmm. But being in a family where you have the flexibility to have financial schedule otherwise, where you can have one parent who does not have to be tied down to meetings and a job and have to be somewhere makes a huge amount of difference. And so any scheduling successes or relational successes or whatever it is that we've had over the years, we have to start by acknowledging the privilege of having enough money that gives you this flexibility. And I don't Mm -hmm. ever want to talk about this without saying that because I feel like when you do, when you say, oh, we've managed to schedule date nights and we can go to physical therapy at the same time and we can do all these things. If you don't talk about the privilege involved in that, then you're essentially saying to other parents that if they're not doing that, they're doing something wrong. But if you've got two working parents who have jobs in hospitals or schools or police departments or even like companies or businesses where they have to be sitting in an office 10 hours a day, they don't have that possibility. And that's not their fault. It's just their reality. So that's what I start by acknowledging. What I don't know. What do you think, Josh? I also think that if you had asked us this question a couple of years ago, like five or six years ago, we would have given you like... A really funny answer and even a good articulate answer like Carla gave, but I don't think it would have been as honest as maybe where we are today. I know I certainly didn't fully appreciate back when our kids were really little. And I think the two of us together didn't have like a good language to talk about it. How much of that, like how much of whatever we were able to produce as balance really fell on Carla's shoulders. Like our kids were born when I was, you know, still an entrepreneur, still had a, a company, they were, I don't know, two and four when the company got acquired by Google. I spent the next three years traveling a totally ridiculous amount and the money was great. 
it allowed us to have this lovely house that we're living in, you know, send our kids to a really nice private school. But the way that it worked is Carla did everything. And I don't necessarily mean the physical labor, like I've always enjoyed shopping and I've always enjoyed cooking and I've always enjoyed spending time with my kids and doing things with my kids and changing diapers and doing activities and giving her like, you know, weekend mornings off and things like that. But, you know, fundamentally, the way that it worked was Carla took responsibility for everything happening in our family. And that's a privilege, right? It's a privilege that, you know, we have the money that she was able to do that. It's a privilege that, I don't know, we could work well off together, that our kids are really pretty easy. Like parenting Mm -hmm. is not easy, right? It was not easy for either one of us. I don't want to say that. And even the best of times is hard, but, you know, our kids are healthy. They had Mm -hmm. no major life-threatening medical issues, neurotypical, great school choices. We have an abundance of high-quality childcare nearby. We're able to afford to put them into daycare and then preschool and then a really great school. Like all of these things made it easier, but fundamentally, Carla was the backstop in our family. Mm -hmm. And thank you, babe, for saying that. And also, to be really clear for your listeners, I was a wreck. I mean, I had Mm -hmm. horrible postpartum anxiety. If I'm going to be really honest about what I remember from the first six months of parenting, I cried a lot, right? I I wasn't depressed. I was anxious. I cried a lot. And I feel like those early years of parenting were, I mean, I love my daughters and parenting is the most important work of my life. And I've upended my professional life as a result of my parenting in the most beautiful way. Like it was a gift and I'm glad I did it, mm-hmm. but it, it aged me like nothing else, <laughs> right? Those years were so, so hard, like brutally hard. And, you know, Josh, I think always had much more interest in being the default parent than I ever did. But he was an entrepreneur. He's a man working in an industry that pays well. And I am a woman who's a social worker and a writer. And so financially, we didn't feel like we could afford it. And lately, my books have been selling a lot better. My writing career is doing a lot better. And we decided that, you know, our kids, we're going to have a high schooler next year, Adam. We don't have that much more time before they leave the house, which I can't even think about that because I don't want to cry on the podcast. But Josh doesn't like it's money versus time, really, right? Mm-hmm. And if you are in a position where you have enough money, then can you be flexible about the time? And really, for Josh to take on the default parenting role now is a gift to me on many levels. He's much more steady with them through these teenage years than I am. He stays calmer, he's less reactive, and he brings creativity to parenting and he comes up with solutions or possibilities or opportunities that I never would have thought of. And I think this is one of the One of the things that so many families lose, and again, being heteronormative because lots of families don't have a mom and a dad, but if we're talking about families where someone is in a traditional female role and somebody's in a traditional male role, and there's not enough room for dad in the parenting conversation for a variety of reasons, including, but not limited to, the fact that men get paid more than women, the family really loses on the creative parenting and and the dad's perspective and voice that's so important. And so... For me to get this opportunity to dive back into my career while also knowing that this amazing man is taking the reins for our kids is a gift that I wish every mom could have if she wanted it. You know, what's interesting is in my neighborhood, I have maybe a handful of dads who I know who are the primary parent and because they have a spouse who works at Google or you know something like that. And that's just what they've decided to do. But it's not the norm, 
still isn't the norm, even though we're in 2022 right now. And so I'd love to hear a little bit about what was that transition like? So what was that decision making or that kind of conversation like? And then, Josh, what's it like being the primary parent in a world where we're still not normalizing the dad as the primary parent? I think the conversation for us was relatively easy because it was something we both wanted. We were in agreement at this. We always, I always knew that Josh had interest in being the default parent. And I always knew that more balance, aka more time away from my kids, and I'm not talking about a lot of time away from my kids, but time away from my kids on a regular basis is really important for me to feel, to stay kind of balanced and calm and be able to be present with them when I am with them. Mm-hmm. So that part of the process was easy because we were both on the same page in wanting to make this transition. Josh, do you want to say more about, like, this transition took us like a, a year? Was it a year? Yeah. It took us, we've only been talking about it for a year. When it actually happened, I think it was pretty easy. Like, mm-hmm. pulling the trigger mainly consisted of my leaving my job. That stretched out for maybe a little longer than we had originally intended for it to, but it wasn't terrible, really since January. January to July, I was working part-time, my prior employer, and that was fine. But, you know, at that point, I had kind of taken over most things. It hasn't really felt hard. I'll be totally honest. But hang on. But I also think that the pandemic sort of inadvertently helped that because Josh wasn't home for dinner for many years. And because our kids ate early and he had to take the tea home through Boston, took a long time. He left work at a reasonable hour and tried to get home at a reasonable hour. It just didn't jive with when our kids were eating. But Josh is the cook in the family. I can't boil water. And he is an amazing, unbelievable cook. He can make anything and he makes it better than anybody else. Are we going to discuss spatchcock chicken in this particular call? We're going to talk about spatchcock chicken. Um, This is the source of our friendship. (laughs) (laughs) So, but he has been making dinner every single night through the pandemic. And he's been around more because he doesn't have this hour commute on every end. So Mm -hmm. even though we weren't really planning it, when he started working from home, he was sort of naturally more in the vibe of the daily schedule and everything because he wasn't, he was just there. And Josh has always been a super involved dad. So I think all of that really helped the transition. I I will say there are a bunch of dads who are the primary parents within our kids' school, which is, I think, our primary community right now. I'm not sure they all want to be, primary parent, but that's where they all are. People are sad. Carla was, cover your ears, sweetie. Carla was beloved. Like people really liked her. Certainly they, they, they enjoy talking to her mostly more than they enjoy talking to me, right? They don't want to hear the advice from me. They want to hear the advice from Carla. So everybody's really nice about it. I don't feel like that's been a big part of the change though. Also the girls are at an age where it's not as big a deal for the parents to be around or not be around. Like we don't walk our kids into school on the first day any longer. And they didn't really want me to stay for the all school like assembly, you know, to mark the first day of school. And I don't know, I guess there's soccer games, but they don't do youth soccer anymore. So it's not like I was the only dad on the side of the field saying Mm -hmm. ridiculous things to embarrass my children. I don't know. It hasn't, that part of it hasn't been a big deal, which I think also speaks to the privileged community that we live in, right? Yeah. Most households, most families we know, both parents work. Both parents are professionals, so they have some flexibility with their schedule. So both parents are able to show up. Certainly around in our community, the physical labor of parenting, cooking and cleaning and chopping and things like that are split more or less evenly between parents. Like there's much more balance there than around the emotional work of parenting. So that part hasn't changed as much, 
The thing that's changed, Adam, is it's really hard to get people to call Josh first, email Josh, right? For the schools, the doctor's offices, somebody will email both of us. And then if I respond, which sometimes I do, I hit reply also, Josh is on it, but then they only reply to me. And then I have to write back and say, you need to include Josh in this. Mm -hmm. And so getting people to contact Josh, it's, it's an ongoing conversation and it's annoying And on the one hand, I certainly understand for busy teachers or busy doctors or nurses or whoever, like it's annoying to have to find two email addresses and type them in whatever. But I think it's a huge problem that leaves dads out of these conversations. And so as we were heading into this transition, I was very mindful of starting to CC Josh on every email involving the girls, which I hadn't done for years because he was busy at a crazy inbox and he didn't know that I was changing a dentist appointment from 1 p.m. to 4 p.m., but now he needs to know. And so that feels like an ongoing conversation about, can we remember to include Josh in this? Can you call Josh? Like he'll bring Frida to the orthodontist appointment. And while he's sitting outside waiting for her to come out, they call me and I'm like, dude, come on. So (laughs) we're working on it. And it's not necessarily like they're doing that on purpose. No, no, it's just, you know, know? just never occurs to them. The other part of it is Carla is definitely better at these things. You know, she's better at the scheduling, the organizing, having a sense in her head for like the way the calendar works, right? The kind of the scope of the school year and when things are going to happen and how far in the future those things are, which makes sense, right? She's been practicing it for 13, almost 14 years, and I'm just starting to do it now. And, you know, practice is an important part of getting better at anything, right? So things we're figuring out are like, what are the tools that I need to use? And maybe the hardest thing about this is, you know, Carla needs to flex a little bit in the way that she organizes things so that we can do things that like will work for me. So yeah. I have this like ridiculous Google doc that like lays out the year and she looks at it. And she's like, this is a waste of time and totally meaningless. I'm like, it absolutely is. If I had your superpower of being able to like, you know, peek into the future, but I don't. So I need mm-hmm. to like, you know, use all my project management skills to, you know, not forget yep. to pick my kids up from the bus stop from camp, a thing which I managed to do this past summer, even though they only went to camp on a bus three days. <laughs> right. Because then they got COVID. No, and I did flex on that, <laughs> um, right? I was you, putting and you did. dates and you on did. the calendar. And you did do some color coding that made my type A, you know, mm-hmm. little heart super happy. So well done on that. Yeah. Thank you. So this is an interesting segue into, I was going to ask the two of you what it's like having tweens and teenagers, but I think we covered a little bit of that yeah. earlier when you mentioned like, it's hard to know what mode you're getting, right? Are you getting... Teenager, you're getting like kid that still wants to snuggle with you, right? We have very different approaches to this, I think is important, Mm -hmm. right? So Mm -hmm. I don't try to figure it out. I mostly treat them as older versions of themselves every single day, which I think works really well a lot of the time and sometimes fails. And I think Carla is better at figuring out which one they are at any particular moment. But when that doesn't work out, it tends to fail more spectacularly. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I just, I was like, where is he? What is he going to say about me? Because really, Adam, what yeah, I think yeah. I do is completely overthink things and mm-hmm. react more emotionally than I need to. But apparently Josh thinks sometimes some version of that works. So I'm going to roll with that, what he said. Okay, we'll go for it. So Carla, you've written several books now I about have. parenting. And I own one of those books, it's which is one. the... How to Stop Losing Your Shit with Your Kids. They're all good, but that's a good one. That's a good one. I wanted to know, tell me about frameworks that each of you apply in your parenting 
style. And Carla, were any of your books inspired by your own parenting experience? Or do you try to step outside of that when you're talking about parenting? Oh, no, I only write books about things that I am actively struggling with. So do you remember the dedication in How to Stop Losing Your Shit? (laughs) I think I said to my children without whom I never would have lost my shit in the first place. I think that was the dedication. (laughs) Yes. Um, No, look, it was all of my writing is really inspired by, you know, the challenges I face and my attempts to figure this out. And so, yeah, how to stop losing your shit with your kids was, I think it took root the night that I, a person who had just finished my doctorate in clinical social work, which is an advanced degree in confusing thoughts and overwhelming feelings, sat down at my computer and literally typed into Google, how do I stop yelling at my kids? When it's been a journey for me, right? And I will say that I still lose it with my kids sometimes. Was, was there any good advice? That's such a hard question wrote to answer. You're like, not the interviewer they- here, buddy. Take your questions and zip them. I'm talking to Adam. <laughs> yes, of course there was good advice, but I couldn't use it, right? Bake that- a cake and don't eat it. No, that's different advice. Yeah. That's a different story. Shout into the toilet. Okay, that was not great advice. But <laughs> look, I call this coulda, woulda advice, right? There's all this coulda, woulda advice out there. If I could have done it, I would have done it. Right. I didn't understand. I didn't have the foundation or the insights, even as someone who literally spent my professional career studying this, I still didn't have the insights to understand why it was so hard for me to stay calm and why it was so hard for me to be patient and not losing my shit. And so, yes, that book was entirely inspired by my challenges as a parent. And Adam, it's so sweet of you to ask about frameworks, because that is something that Josh absolutely has in his life and it serves us so well. And I don't understand what that means. Like if you had said to me, Carla, what sort of do you use to inspire parenting? I'd be like, yeah, that question makes a little more sense to me than frameworks. Like it's just not how my brain works. Things happen and then I respond to them. And sometimes that reaction goes well and sometimes it goes poorly, but there's no framework involved. It's just not how the situation between my ears functions. The only reason I can ask Josh this question is because having been a product manager, Mm -hmm. the world of product management revolves around, and by the way, MBA, revolves around frameworks, which is like, how can I fit this situation that I'm dealing with into a thing that lets me understand it and process it and work through it? So, um, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's just not how my brain works. Oh, no, I get it. I totally get it. Josh, what's your favorite parenting framework, if you were to describe it? My favorite parenting framework is mission, vision, strategy, which you could then decompose into objectives and key results. Okay. And Say more. <laughs> I'm half joking and I'm half serious. I'm probably like three quarters serious here. Okay. You know, I think about the challenge that, right, I coach product managers, right? And inevitably, people ask me the question, you know, I have a long list of things I could do. How do I prioritize them? Right. And in their mm-hmm. head, what they're thinking about is some sort of prioritization framework like impact and effort and probability and multiply things together and stack rank the experiments you could run. And I think for a lot of people, that's kind of the way they think about parenting, right? Mm -hmm. There's a whole bunch of things they could do, right? They could sign their kids up for music class or dance class or Mandarin or Spanish immersion. They could send their kids to the public school or the private school. They can do you know, the fancy summer camp, the regular summer camp, they could take an adventurous vacation, they could sit on a beach, an all-inclusive resort. It's a series of kind of context-free decisions 
but they're trying to compare stuff against each other. Well, if we go on the less expensive vacation, then we can send our kids up for the fancier preschool, for the you know Spanish language immersion preschool, and those kinds of trade-offs. In product management, right, the place we get ourselves into trouble is if we don't base that prioritization exercise off of a really clear company vision and product vision, right? I don't mean mission. I mean like vision. What are we trying to get to and what is our role as a family and as parents going to be in getting our kids there? And there is a thing that Carla said, I don't know, five or six years ago, which has stuck with me since. And you know, what this? when you hear this, you know what I'm talking about because we talk about this all the time. It was something like, it's not our job as parents to make our kids happy. Oh, I did say that. It's a true statement. You did say, I did that. say that. I still say that. And it's a really yeah. smart thing to think about, right? Because if you don't say that out loud, what becomes your implicit vision statement as parents, right? It's, we want to make our kids happy. We just want our kids to be happy, mm -hmm. right? I think a lot of people have said this unthinkingly out loud. And if they don't think about it, they probably actually mean it. And the framework that I have is, what are we actually trying to accomplish as parents? Mm -hmm. Right? We want our kids to be kind. We want them to be generous. We want them to be aware of their own place in the world. We want them to be independent. We want, we them, want to them to hang up their towels when they take a shower. Yes, we want that. Right. And hanging up your towels when you take a shower and putting away your laundry, right? And learning how to, in fact, do laundry and learning how to cook some meals and taking responsibility for setting the table. These are all things that make a lot of sense in the context of our family vision. And yeah. for a lot of families, right? And I recognize this is fairly privileged because for a lot of families, right? what parents expect the work of their kids to be, right, is studying and activities, right? Because okay. a kid's job to prepare themselves to go to a great school and have a great career, right? Yeah. And both those things are totally okay. Yes. Right? Those things are totally fine, right? Yeah. The place you run into trouble is when you don't say these things out loud. We don't express that vision out loud. And because I'm really lucky to have a partner in parenting, period, and then a partner in parenting who's good at saying these things out loud and good at talking these things through with me, when we go on walks, which don't have nearly as many fighting tense moments anymore as they did when we were younger. We've we're getting been better so at this. good at not fighting lately. We haven't fought in like three years. That's not entirely true, but it's mostly true. And I'm very proud of us. So carry on, babe. So anyway, that's a framework that I use, right? It's okay. literally the very same things. And it's no big surprise, to me at least, that the frameworks that Carla struggled with introduced in her books and in her writing prior to being a book author are ones that I carried through, not just in the family, but also professionally, right? There's an awful lot of overlap, right? Yeah. With being an exec at a company and being a parent, right? In both cases, you are the adult and you're expected to act like the adult. And that has a set of responsibilities, which only you as the adult have. Okay. I didn't understand a lot of what Josh said initially, but then, because he was like, wah, 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 wah. But then he started talking about feelings and I understand that stuff. But I do want to say one thing where I think we, can, we parents can get a little off track when we start to make this comparison between the professional world and the personal world, which is that when you are in the professional world, you can get some pretty clear feedback about whether or not what you're doing is working. Like, yeah. I, I don't actually know what product management people do for feedback, but maybe, I don't know, sales go up or products are built or your boss is happy or you get to check mm -hmm. off the boxes on the workflow scrum thing, whatever. In parenting, we don't have that. There's no checkbox. There's, I mean, I guess maybe once a year at the annual exam, the doctor might say, yes, your child is growing well. And yes, they're meeting milestones. But generally speaking on a day-to-day -day basis, we don't have that. 
And what many parents do is we look to our children's behavior and their emotional state as like the feedback that we're doing a good job. And this is this is a losing proposition because kids are insane. They behave unpredictably and irrationally, and their feelings are all over the place. And there is nothing wrong with having feelings all over the place, except for it's like super unpleasant when you're the parent being the receptacle of those feelings. That doesn't feel good, but it's okay to feel bad. And so I think we parents get really hung up on this idea that if our kids aren't behaving well or feeling happy, that is an indication that we are not being good parents. Mm-hmm. And that's not mm-hmm. actually true. Yeah. Now, don't ask me what a good parent is because I still haven't nailed that one down. I'm working oh, on that. I can tell you. Oh. Yeah. Please do. Yeah. Wait, let me take notes. Yeah. A good parent provides their kids with unconditional love. Okay, and and provides them with the things they need to be safe and warm and clothed and well-fed within their capabilities and life situation. Okay, but all I can think of is all the parents who can't give their kids any of that for reasons that aren't their fault because the social worker in me is like, what about the homeless parents? What about... Parents can give their kids unconditional love. But what is... That, that is not a helpful phrase in my world because what does that mean to give your kids unconditional love? Because is it unconditional love... When all you can think about is running away to Staples because you can't even deal with your kid being in the same room with you for five minutes longer? Like, yes. what? I don't know what unconditional love means. I always love my children. And sometimes I behave poorly towards them. Sometimes I scream at them, right? Sometimes I roll my eyes so hard, I feel like they're going to fall out of my head. And so if, like, what is unconditional? I don't know. I know what it feels like to unconditionally love my kids, but I can't control feelings and I can't ask another parent to control their feelings. So if there are parents who feel ambivalent about being a parent or feel rageful or confused or regretful, does that mean they don't unconditionally love their kid? Like, I don't, I feel like love is a feeling and I can't, I think you and I need to go on a walk and have a conversation about this when I'm going to get very mouthy at you. It's a bad key result. It really what the is. Hell is a key result? <laughs> it's the thing that you measure, right? It is. You're right. right. It's you a can't bad measure thing. Measure unconditional love. Right. So don't come at me with that. It's a bad thing to measure, you know. But yet, look, I look I'm at too- your own childhood. Yeah. Right. Chaotic and complicated, but the one thing which you never doubted in your life was that you were loved by your parents. That is and, a true statement. And that is worth an awful lot. And did you always get everything you needed? You did not, right? But. The fact that you had that unconditional love combined with some other, you know, lucky breaks, other things, right? Complicated childhood. But the fact that you had that takes you so far. And you can say, I can't measure it, so it's stressful. Or I can say, you know what? Unconditional love doesn't mean not losing your shit with your kids. It doesn't mean not running away to Staples. It doesn't mean not making jokes about wine o'clock, right? It doesn't mean about I don't make wine o'clock jokes. No, I don't make wine o'clock jokes either. But I don't judge people who do. Right. Mm-hmm. All those things. It doesn't mean those things. Right. It's just a thing which, you know what? Just about everybody has that. Like you're yep. setting a pretty low bar. And that's my favorite thing about parenting is this isn't like unlike everything else that we do. And maybe, Adam, this is what's hard for parents like us. Right. In our social demographic, psychographic group of people who have spent basically their entire lives excelling at everything they did through really hard work and optimization and grit and grind and studying and privilege and intelligence and all those other sorts of things. And a lot of luck. And a lot of luck, right? But here's the thing where like, honestly, 
like being a parent, being a great parent means, you know, like just hitting that bottom threshold bar. Like says the man, awesome. says the father. I don't judge you. You no, judge yourself. No, no, no. <laughs> Society, I absolutely yes, judge myself right. for sure. You judge yourself Society and literally every person mothers, you see walking down the street judges Society you. I agree. judges mothers to a completely different standard than fathers. And I'm not saying that's fair to they fathers do. either. Right. But don't even start coming at me with this low bar business because that's not true for moms. Okay, I'm just saying, right. be the change. Yeah. I'm gonna, change you want I'm, gonna I'm gonna rip off these this headphones. This is why, Adam, we're different well, floors I'm of the same house. <laughs> I've created the first argument in three years. Oh my God, what I'm have like, I done? It's like, what's that? What was that TV show that was the reality show? It was a talk show. And they were always throwing chairs at each other on stage. Yeah, yeah you're Jerry like Springer. the new one and of then, those, Adam. That's what you Reese, created. And then he ran for, and then Geraldo, you know, he's like, Maury uh, uh, Fox News goes, Maury, Maury, yeah. yeah. That's um, what this is. That's okay. what this podcast is, Adam. I, I want to be conscious that Josh, primary caregiver, yes, said I'm watching we that had clock. until 3.05, and it is now 3.10 for Josh. It's minutes to drive over there. So I have like two more minutes, and I'm going to run downstairs, and I'll okay. wear my embarrassing dad Crocs to pick the girls up instead okay. of a nice pair of stylish sneakers. Let's go with the rapid fire round, then. This is okay. my favorite part for both of you. Pass. Diapers, diapers, diapers. diapers. Okay, Jesus. okay. Most formal, <laughs> most useless parenting product you ever purchased, Carla. Pacifier. Josh. Our kids are thumbsuckers. Yep. Pacifier. Yeah, thumbsuckers. Okay. Which one of your kids is your favorite, Carla? My cats, obviously. Josh. My wife. Yes, nailed it. <laughs> most frustrating thing that has ever happened to you as a dad, Josh. There was this time when we were carrying our kid at an event and she had a giant poop. And I tried to tell my wife that the kid had a giant poop and she kept blowing me off. And then it was everywhere. Okay, Carla. That clearly was not frustrating for you. So what about you at the moment? too hard, Carol. Okay, Josh, go to dad wardrobe. You just mentioned something, but. Wearing it right now, every day. Yeah. Flower Crocs. shirt. Okay. Wearing it right now. Carla, Cro Carla what's your go-to mom core wardrobe? Oh, I just wear soft pants and t-shirts every day. Mom core or not. Soft every pants day. I don't wear hard pants. Yeah. That's not a thing I do. We anymore. distinguish between soft clothes and hard clothes. Yeah, I don't yes, know. hard pants. I'm familiar with the concept. Okay. Did you ever drop your one of your kids as a baby, Josh? No. Carla. I was holding a stroller and it fell backwards and she hit okay. her head. And I felt really bad. I'll allow it. Okay, this is a good one. Carla, how many parenting books do you have in your house? I only have like eight or nine because they'll make me crazy. Oh, wait, but I have multiple copies of my Kindle? own books and I have my own books in other okay. languages. So I have like a okay. shitload. Josh, how many parenting books have you actually read cover to cover? Zero. Yes. Okay. Least favorite age for your kids, Josh? First three months. Okay, Carla. Infants and toddlers. Everything okay. up to five was a nightmare. Favorite age for your kids, Josh? Uh, nine and a half months when they were able to sit up on their own and reach for toys, but couldn't yet crawl. No, I, that's a joke I always say, because it is like the greatest age for kids. But I feel like literally every year is a little bit better. What he said. Potted plant stage. That's what I call that nine months mm -hmm. stage. Okay. Screen time. Good, bad, indifferent. Carla. It's for the parents. It's great for the parents. Josh, same. Exactly the same. Okay. All right. Final question. Josh and Carla, what's our take on minivans? Never. 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 I'm great. We end with a conflict. I love it. 
thank you for listening to today's conversation with Josh Herzig Marks and Carla Nomberg. If you enjoyed the show today, please subscribe, share, and leave me a review. It'll help other people find this podcast. Startup Dad is a Fishman AF production with editing support from Tommy Heron. You can also stay up to date on my thoughts on growth, product, and parenting by subscribing to the Fishman AF newsletter at www.fishmanafnewsletter.com. Thanks for listening.